This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So, it's a pleasure to uh, have you all here today. I'm looking forward uh, to the conference. And it's a real pleasure to introduce the next uh, speaker, uh, Terry Leach, who you all know. Terry was the founding executive director of CHQI. Uh, she worked with me, the CEOs, uh, uh, Santiago Munoz, in 2011 to put this together, uh, and she was instrumental in shepherding it through the early years uh, and funding over 50 uh, proposals, including fellowships, uh, uh, grants, uh, and I, I can truly say that if it weren't for Terry, uh, this center wouldn't be where it is today, uh, and so we owe a lot to her, uh, her leadership. Terry's going to talk about uh, change and sustainability what it takes to implement change, and more important, what it takes to sustain that change. Terry, it's great to have you here. Well, thank you, Dr. Stobo, for that gracious introduction. And thanks to all of you for the opportunity to work on uh, Something that uh, I've always wanted to do, uh, to make a difference in healthcare. How many of us can say that you can't wait to wake up and go to work and to make a difference in people's lives? This has been an extraordinary privilege. And for all of you who are still working uh, on, and you're going on this journey, I wish you um, the best, best of luck and also to take care of yourself. <laughs> that will be uh, from someone who perhaps the 60-hour week replaced the 40-hour week. That will be one piece of advice. So I'm going to talk a little bit about learning objectives because many of you are here um, and will be obtaining CME. So uh, we're going to be talking about the key elements of effective change management. And then later in the day, you're going to be hearing from many of our uh, innovators uh, common impediments to dissemination of best practices in healthcare systems. So I'm not going to cover that, because when I asked our fellows and our PIs if they had anything to share, believe me, there was no shortage here in impediments to spread. So you're going to hear from the experts. But these same individuals are also going to share with you successful approaches to overcoming obstacles to spread. So I say to all of you in the room and those of you who will be watching later on UCTV, if you are starting out on a multi-campus change program, the first few months, maybe even the first year, I talked to one of you this morning, maybe even the first two years, it will be difficult. Change is never easy. If it were easy, of course, it would have already been done. But we know you can learn from the innovators who come before you. And we've been creating a cadre of innovators who are working with one another, and you can learn from them, and they're eager to share what they've learned. And we'll talk about principles of sustainability. One of the things we started doing early on in our RFPs was to make sure that we only funded projects that had a chance of being sustainable after the funding was gone. So is anyone, before we even get started, and I recall two years ago when I was before you for our first colloquium, when we weren't sure more than 20 of you would take time out of your busy days to come, we weren't sure that the clinical and executive leadership understood 
that change was needed and that the healthcare marketplace was in a place it had never been before. Is there anyone, and of course, I don't expect anybody to raise their hand, but is there anyone, I say it that way, who still is unconvinced that change isn't needed or that this is not an unprecedented time? And I think that's a lot of double negatives. I used this slide last year, and we all know the hospital of old is not the health system of the future. We call ourselves UC Health, not UC Hospitals. UC Health, the emphasis, of course, is on providing care at the least, um, in, in the, I don't want to say most affordable, but certainly in the environment um, that will help, help us achieve the triple aim. We are not what we were even 10 years ago. Disruptive innovation. We could never have imagined that medical tourism would take off in the way that it is today. When we talked of medical tourism maybe even just five to ten years ago, you might have thought about individuals traveling to India or to the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Panama. Now when we talk about medical tourism, what we talk about are companies like Lowe's and companies like Walmart coming together with Virginia Mason or Kaiser in the Irvine area or other health systems like those and sending their employees to these hand-selected institutions for joint replacement surgery. And as an incentive, the employees are offered no out-of-pocket costs, significant incentives to travel, wonderful opportunities for these health systems to introduce themselves to patients who might never have otherwise tried those systems. This is accelerating. This sort of innovation is is changing how healthcare will be delivered. Another example from the website. If you haven't had a chance, I won't read all of this to you, I wouldn't put you in that position, but if you haven't gone to the CVS Minute Clinic site, I encourage you to take a look at that site to learn what disruptive innovation looks like. And my challenge to all of you in a strategic and leadership role at the UC hospitals is how are we going to interact with these disruptive innovators? What, what is our role as UC Health with the more than 400 minute clinics that are being set up throughout California? where nurse practitioners, as you read, will be diagnosing. They will be providing common vaccinations. They'll be treating minor wounds, providing a wide range of wellness services. Are we wired with these clinics? Do we have the e-consult or telemedicine integration for specialty access? Are we thinking along those lines? If not, what will it take? What is the next disruptive innovation we haven't even thought about that some other group is putting together that is going to change how healthcare is being offered. Accountable care communities is, um, you've all heard, and many of you are participating in accountable care organizations. So let's talk about accountable care communities. I'm positing that this is an example of where we will all be encouraged to go. It's not going to be easy, it's not going to feel intuitive, but there are already communities that are succeeding at sharing risk amongst many providers in communities, choosing often a county health department as an anchor to 
convene and pull together behavioral health, the acute care providers, the EMS, and all of the other critical stakeholders and sharing the gain and sharing the risk. Some of you are aware of the new DISRIP uh, contract that New York has recently uh, gotten involved in, which will involve all such providers sharing this risk with the, um, with the target of reducing avoidable hospitalizations by 25% across New York State. And all of the providers will share in that gain and share in that risk. Is that where California is going to go next? I don't know, but that will look very different than the last DISRIP experience that you've all participated in. And so the question, of course, becomes, what is UC Health's role in leading change in this extremely disruptive environment? You are the leaders. You are from UC, and it's happening so fast, and I commend all of the systems work that Dr. Stobo spoke about, because it will take our leaders and frankly, all of our um, faculty and staff working together, not only to respond, but hopefully to lead in change. I'm not going to waste a lot of your time in going through John Cotter's Eight Steps to Leading Change, because you all know this, but I commend his work to you and just remind you that transformation is a process. It's not an event. It's also messy. I've had some of you speak to me in the last day. I had a wonderful event last night with many of you, and some of you shared with me that this work is hard, and it's messy, and some of the steps we took perhaps were not as sophisticated or perhaps well-advised as they could be, and to that I say that's to be expected. Change is difficult, and when we do it and we support one another through this process, and we know we need to do this. We are moving forward. Can any of you imagine another forum in which you would have all been meeting like this three or four years ago? I'm not sure that it existed. There is so much good that's happening, but we can get better. So you recall that three years ago, we worked to establish the sense of urgency because we weren't sure that everyone knew that we might be asked to take rate passes, for example, as the exchange was being set up. And again, I don't think any of you doubt the sense of urgency. This is one. Some of you know that I did take eight years out of my legal career to run political campaigns. So a statewide uh, lieutenant governor's campaign, congressional campaigns, et cetera. And I worked on the stem cell campaign. I firmly believe that aligning incentives in health care and providing higher quality care that is more affordable and improving the health of populations is going to be the most important campaign any of you are ever going to work on. And you cannot do it without powerful coalitions. It didn't work when I ran statewide campaigns for lieutenant governor, and it isn't going to work in attempting to change the way that we offer health care. So this means that if you are um, a colorectal surgeon and you're offering up a, an application for funding that involves re, uh, reduction of surgical site infections, our office might suggest you work with the infectious disease collaborative. And in fact, 
You're going to hear from those two groups today, and they're working beautifully together. We will continue to spur that sort of collaboration and urge all of you to continue to work together. In addition, creating the vision to direct your change effort. The triple aim, I believe, says it pretty well. We must, must improve health care, improve the care, improve the health of the populations we serve, and yes, we must make health care more affordable. We absolutely have to do that. And so I believe the vision is out there, and we need to always keep that as our North Star. And then, of course, communicating the vision. You're all here. You understand the reason for the work we do. And then your role is to take this back to your faculty, to your staff, for those who weren't able to be here, and to get them excited about the work we're doing together. I won't go through all of this because I'm sure you've all read it. Key, key requirements for leading change. I think when you look through most of the leadership books, and Dr. Stobin, I've had an opportunity to chat with several of the leaders from uh, the Haas Business School, and then I have my own personal coach. My husband used to teach organizational behavior at Haas, and that's always exciting to uh, make sure that uh, I get that little extra help every, every evening. We look at the tripartite piece of this, and that's leadership, teamwork, and success, or what I call success is sustainability, because you know you've been successful if a project has been sustained and inculcated into the fabric of the culture. Now, I also firmly believe that leadership is composed of both intense determination and profound humility. I didn't make this up, but you cannot lead if you're not willing to ask questions, be corrected, seek advice, seek mentorship. And it's an odd combination of humility and determination. We all know leaders who err on one or the other side. And I have an interesting story about UC that concerns what I call an abundance of modesty. Many years ago, when I had the privilege of managing health policy for the Office of President and spent much of my time in Sacramento, I was often asked by policymakers why UC wasn't at the table more engaged in groundbreaking research on population health. And that boggled me because, of course, UC is absolutely seminal in groundbreaking research in population health. And I was invited to attend uh, a session in front of several policymakers, an excellent session, and I commend Kaiser. And for those of you from Kaiser, we thank you for your partnership. And this was a session by Kaiser on a really interesting protocol, the ALL protocol, to prevent cardiovascular disease in individuals, particularly with diabetes, over the age of 55. It was an excellent project, and Kaiser's done wonderful work there. What was so interesting, though, is when I went back to talk to our cardiologists, was to learn that so much of that underlying research had been undertaken and developed by our colleagues at UC. And when I asked them if we could get them to Sacramento or to Washington to profile the excellent work, what I often got back from our UC colleagues was, well, I'd like to see two more studies. 
or I'd like to see four more studies before I speak about this. I'm a practical person, having run campaigns and practiced health law for many years before moving into policy. I, too, believe in academic rigor, but I think that there is a danger in not putting out there what is very, very good for the people of California that you and your colleagues are offering. So I implore you to make sure that we have a voice and our vision is articulated where policies go, to, to, where they go to be born. Some of you know that several years ago, during our furlough days, I was teaching health policy at the University of, Mich of Minnesota one day a week while I was managing health policy here. And I learned that my counterpart at the Mayo and at Dartmouth had offices in Washington, D.C., and they were really pushing their view of how efficient California was or was not in Washington. There is no lack of putting forth ideas, and so I continue to encourage all of us to put forward the excellent work that is being done at UC, but always to balance it with modesty, asking our patients, what can we do better? Asking the FQHCs who receive our patients when they're discharged, are we doing everything we can to get you discharge summaries? Doing everything we can to balance these two, I think will help propel UC Health. Now, talking about one end of leadership, we have to look at what doesn't work with leadership. I had a wonderful opportunity to attend a workshop with a, a commentator on leadership, Marilyn Mason, from the University of Minnesota, and she shared that almost half of all CEOs fail within the first 18 months. And I found that that was groundbreaking because we know that for-profit companies spend a great deal of money to recruit and maintain these CEOs, and if half of those in those environments are failing, there are lessons to be learned by all of us on why CEOs fail, why leaders, and I'll use CEOs as a metaphor for leaders. So we have to ask why, what's not working? And so her team at Minnesota conducted some research to, to determine what were the reasons, and they found that the number one reason that leaders fail is the lack of their ability to be coached. Second, something called emotional intelligence. And if we could package that, that would be the magic bullet but I think you've all heard that term. You have a sense of what it is. Third, if I can get the, motivation. That wouldn't surprise me. I can't imagine anyone taking the role on without being motivated. Temperament being fourth. The one that's really surprising is that technical competence is the last reason why leaders fail. We tend to bring in people even when we move them from industry to industry, so somebody moving from running a toy company to running General Mills, for example. We tend to find that leadership skills can be taken from sector to sector, but coachability is a much harder uh, skill or uh, trait. What do good leaders possess? Optimism, positive attitude towards learning, good listeners, and ask questions. Are you seeing a trend here? And we find this over and over again. 
I won't go over the seven habits of highly effective people. You've all seen this, but I encourage you to take a look at these and learn about these. But you'll see most of this have to do with listening. The second part of that tripartite piece is teamwork. Collaboration is not optional. What you need to know, though, are which situations demand teams. Not all of them do. Complex or new situations, when alliances across groups are important, and when skills of the many are needed. But not all situations uh, need teams. If it's a clear assignment, one person has all the experience, not needed. I think a really important part of building an innovation vehicle is understanding the rules of the road, a team charter. It's so important that at the outset of any endeavor, whether it's a project to reduce surgical site infections or whether it's a project to build an innovation center, that everyone understands the purpose. Why does this group exist? What is the task? What is the timeline? The codes of conduct. What if we do if we have five site leaders, and one never gets on the phone, one never collaborates. Did we develop a process at the outset to vote somebody off the island? Don't mean to sound so harsh, but it's much harder to do it afterwards. Who are we responsible to? How do we make decisions? Is it 100%? Is it majority? How do we communicate? And the logistics. And it's always important to have a sponsor who can open doors when you take difficult, difficult tasks on. Sustainability, going beyond the leader. I am thrilled that CHQI is even stronger than when I left it a couple months ago. That is extremely humbling, and it's wonderful. It was never about one person anyway. And all of the good work that you as the fellows and the PIs in the room are doing, I know you feel the same way I do, that you know you will be successful when your good work continues after you've moved on to another important project. Transformational leadership, I'm sure most of you have read about these and you can see these. Uh, we have a flash drive where you can read these. But once again, no matter which commentator you read about organizational behavior or leadership, it almost always comes back to the same thing. Leaders connect to people. They encourage questions, even if the questions are difficult. And you value succession planning. It was never about one person anyway. And I must tell you, I was so excited when I interviewed Karen because I interviewed her with that thought in mind that this was a highly motivated individual that I could trust with my fourth child, CHQI. So I thank all of you for all that you do for UC Health and for the privilege of working with you. And I hope to continue to work with all of you in one way or another going forward. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.